Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hear that podcast growling, mean and angry. Hear that local shouting, it's Dainer and Jay. It's Dainer and Jay. All right, today's episode of Hear That Podcast Ground is presented by Visa, network working for everyone, and uh, I'm Paul Daner Jr., Jay Morrison here, The Athletic, working for you. What's up, Jay? Doing well. Not, not Despite the Bengals being on a two-game losing streak, it just, I don't know, watching last night's Monday night game kind of felt like a playoff game. It just, even though I think Bengals fans are, want them to be more competitive right now, it just it feels like it's getting that time. It feels like it's getting bigger. It's way more interesting to be covering a team in the race than what we've done the last few years. So I'm, I'm looking forward to this final four weeks. Can I say one thing quickly uh, before we dive in here? Sure. Can, can we, bef- now that we're withdrawn from it enough and people have kind of maybe, con- you can come a little bit more to reality, <laughs> can everybody just kind of say one thing together? Sunday's game was fun. Yes. Sunday's game was fun. There were so many highs and lows and interesting decisions and qua- like high level play. Let's this was not a close game like Bengals Dolphins 2019 became a close game on a comeback. Okay, this was high level play, high stakes playmaking on both sides to win an overtime game. This was not teams junking it all over the place can be like when we talk about big games relevant games at paul brown stadium that are fun to watch even though it ended poorly even though it ended on brandon Ayuk one arm over the pylon that was fun that's what you get when you have a quality relevant team this time of year and i think everybody should come back and take you don't always win those games but it sure wasn't, and it, from from a, a perspective of just watching football, that was a fun atmosphere. It was, and it was just fun to allow yourself to think. Like I was already kind of crafting in my head the story because it, 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 if they win that game, it's maybe one of the most significant wins um, since I've been covering the team. I mean, coming back from 14 doesn't sound like a huge comeback, but to do it against a, a team fighting for a playoff berth. Um, to, to do it twice in one season, it, it would be the 10th largest comeback in franchise history if, if they had done it. It just it felt like it was going to be so significant and so huge to pull that out. And I think that's maybe why it hurts fans more to, to see them lose it. But it was. It was a really, really enjoyable game. That fourth quarter, I quit taking notes. I just sat there and watched it. I, I, you know, normally I'm writing down every play and taking notes. I, I just quit doing that. I just kind of got in the moment and, and just watched the game. Yeah, and and you know what? There's going to be more of those. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Because uh, they only get bigger as we go forward. Um, we got a bunch of stuff to get to today. Uh, I want to thank everybody that joined the live room that we did yesterday. I I really enjoyed it. Um, 
and Jay, we were talking beforehand. You did too. I mean, it, I yeah. think it was really it was cool to talk hear from people. And now that we've kind of got a good feel for what it is, and we're going to do it every week. You guys gave us a good response that you seem to enjoy it. Uh, so we're going to try to keep doing those on Mondays and uh, after for for lunch hour after games. And uh, you guys keep coming in. And I wish we could have gotten everybody's questions. There were so many we didn't have time to get to everybody. So we're going to try to keep an eye on who asks some every week, and so we make sure that we get new people in and, and ask all these questions because it was great to hear from you great to just have that conversation and i'm glad that so many of you seem to enjoy it showing up in there so we will have uh we'll have that again uh next week on monday jay you're going to be flying back so we'll see it may just be a you may just be getting me solo i don't know if that's good or bad for you folks but uh we'll we'll have you uh taken care of as, as jay comes back uh from denver i'm not cleared to fly yet jay just disappointing because well, I love Denver. Yeah, and well, let's not forget that a delayed flight is always in play. I could be on mm-hmm. the live room from a terminal waiting to oh, see when yeah. my flight is actually going to depart. So we'll just play it by ear. We'll be able to hear the sadness in the background <laughs> <laughs> of people sitting waiting for a flight out of Denver as the snow. Actually, it's supposed it, to be really nice in Denver this weekend. It is. 50s, no snow, no rain, no precipitation in the forecast for like a 10-day stretch up there. Uh, so you're getting you're getting lucky. This, this trip had blizzard written all over it. It did, and I'm doing what I did for Vegas, where I'm, I'm going on Friday just to try Ooh. to, because I've never been to Denver, so I'm going to do a little sightseeing. Might go see the Shining Hotel, um, but yeah, I'm, <laughs> I'm looking forward to getting out there and seeing it in nice weather. Anybody going to Denver, I'll recommend the same thing. I'm going to recommend to anybody: take the day trip down to Colorado Springs, do Pikes Peak, do Garden uh, of the Gods. It is like one of the coolest places I've ever been. I love love those spots. But that's enough. We, we got to get into some stuff. Let's uh, <laughs> let's um, Mo, we'll have Mo on in a little bit. We'll be talking about his thoughts on conservative play calling because I think you've heard enough of ours. Um, but we'll talk kick returner, punt returner. You'll hear from special teams coordinator Darren Simmons. We'll get into a little bit of playoff picture, and I, we've got a fun offshoot of uh, yesterday's live room planned for you, and a, a funny question that came up and circulated on social that we're going to pull out. It was about it was Jamar Chase being referenced as one of the most frustrating Bengals of all time, which we <laughs> found quite funny, and so we have a uh, we're going to do a draft of most frustrating Bengals of all time, whose last name starts with the letter C. Just to show you how many more frustrating Bengals there are than uh, potential offensive rookie of the year, Jamar Chase. Uh, that'll be a fun little thing we're going to do at the end of the show here. Uh, so, all right, let's let's. Um, the AJ Green went over ten thousand yards last night. Yeah, I didn't even know he was getting close. Uh, that that was really cool to see. Uh, he for the Cardinals who who lost that game to the Rams. It's it's funny and. You know, I'm not going to pull out a Hall of Fame debate here in the middle of this show. Um, but when you get into that, you cross that 10,000 yard club, you know, it's a it's a different deal. Um, and and there will be more people in it now. You era adjusted stuff is going to be a big deal as you look forward. I mean, he's kind of. I will say he's not going to make the Hall of Fame. Um, I think the injuries at the end of his career derailed that quest. Um, he has a very nice re- resume. He'll be in the Bengals ring of honor. Um, but, you know, he's still, he's kind of on that outside. And, you know, he's he's never been an all pro. 
not you know never been a first team all pro it hurts you you're up you're like compared next to julio and i hate how perception plays but it plays and julio's numbers are ridiculous and he's you know gonna be that guy who's who's gonna get in and and you played in cincinnati you never made playoff runs it's hard it's hard and um he has had a great career, but I think you if he would have if he would have stayed healthy in eighteen and maybe nineteen were similar to the level he was playing at, and he was up in twelve hundred total yards and and maybe had a little bit more uh, a success, you could see it. But it's it's not gonna. But still, um, it's a heck of a milestone, and he does enter the conversation when you for sure when you cross over that ten k though. What if the Cardinals win the Super Bowl and he? plays a significant role in in that playoff run. Does the the recency bias of that? I mean, he doesn't have a single playoff win obviously. Um if if he gets that title at the end of 10,000 yards and all the other thing he's accomplished, you think that would be enough to nudge him in? No, I don't know. I mean, it would have he would have to put together a Larry Fitzgerald type of playoff run like Larry Fitzgerald did back remember when he in 09 or whatever when he just went bananas I mean I, he's not that guy this season he's having an okay season for himself I mean it's he's actually had a little bit certainly had a resurgent season you know he's 15.6 yards per catch which is more along the lines of what he is for his career but you know his catch percentage is is probably down a little bit you know I I think he's having an okay season but I I don't see him having any kind of run like that or that pushing him over the top. I mean, you guess maybe there's always a chance if if the Cardinals were a real team, maybe played in a Super Bowl or two over the next two or three years, and he stayed a part of it and really had a second life like Andrew Whitworth. But I just, I, you know, when you've got guys like, you know, we're going to be talking now about Steve Smith and Andre Johnson. You know, I I still think I I think Chad's resume is much better than AJ's. I mean. Era adjusted. Chad has two All Pros. First of all, I mean, and he had a six-year run as one of the. I mean, he has five seasons in the top six of the league in receiving yards. Chad does. AJ has one where he was fifth. That's it. I mean, you got to think about what he was doing at that time. Um, you know. you look at, and again, I'm not trying to turn this into a long haul fame debate, but let's talk about guys that have 10,000 yards and multiple all pros. There's only 13 ever. Okay. And if you have two, Henry Ellard, Chad Johnson, Steve Smith, Andre Johnson are in that fringe group that, like, right outside of you, you get more than two. Three All-Pros and 10,000 yards, forget about it. Marvin Harrison, DeAndre Hopkins will be a Hall of Famer. Calvin Johnson, Randy Moss, Antonio Brown will be a Hall of Famer. Trello Owens, Jerry Rice, end of list. No no doubters eventually will get in, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and then the next group is that group I mentioned, and you're debating them amongst each other. AJ's not, I mean, AJ's not even in that. He doesn't even have a single All-Pro. I and mean, to me, that's, what is your high end? And uh, and that's, and AJ's not going to collect that here late in his career. Yeah. And, you know, I don't want to start open a second can of worms here, but you mentioned Andrew (laughs) Whitworth and uh, it was interesting. It was last night was his 60. He was the first offensive lineman or tackle to start a game at age 40 left Um, tackle left tackle. And it was his 68th start 
since he left the Bengals. And I was <laughs> just like, career. <laughs> I tweeted it out. I was like, there is not a Bengals player, let alone offensive lineman or tackle that has 68 starts since Andrew Whitworth left here. Trey Hopkins is most with 64. It's just, it's remarkable what he's done since he left the Bengals. And, you know, it, I don't think that there's kind of this false narrative where the Bengals thought he was washed up. I don't think they thought he was washed up. They just, they weren't willing to give, they thought it was coming and they don't relitigate this Jay. I know this is not the time to relitigate the Andrew Whitworth. (laughs) We can't go there. Good for that guy, because we talked about, I think it was last week's pod of a very, very real chance of him getting to a Super Bowl this year and being the Walter Payton man of the year. And Mm -hmm. I I think anybody that ever crossed paths with Witt would would root for the latter for sure. And I'm I'm sure even some Bengals fans, if the Bengals can't get there, would would like to see Whitworth get to the Super Bowl. Whitworth's going to get in the hall. I'm predicting it now. Yeah. He's going to get in, I think. Um, We talked about that a lot, particularly in the Willie Anderson debate, as that gets closer too, by the way, as he is a semifinalist hoping to see how that turns out for him. All right, let's – Sorry about that. I just the AJ thing kind of took me, and I kind of was went down an AJ wormhole before we started here, thinking about him and Chad and and the Hall of Fame and things like that. All right, let's take a second and switch gears here and hear from a sponsor. Trey Hendrickson might play this week. Uh, the, that's a, basically a good report on him. It is a back issue. You never want to see that, but um, you know, as far as it could have been much more serious when you consider what it looked like. Um, they're optimistic about him. He'll be limited early in the week and see how he feels. So maybe he plays this weekend. Maybe he doesn't, uh, but it doesn't appear to be a long-term thing. And Zach Taylor sounded optimistic about it. It doesn't really necessarily mean anything. He was optimistic last week about Trey Waynes and Trey Waynes didn't end up playing. We, we, I got a little bit more of an answer on what exactly happened there. And I know we discussed it, uh, yesterday a little bit and Sunday afterwards, what went on with Trey Waynes? And as as Zach Taylor sort of described it to me, it was a matter of roster gymnastics at the end. They're so low on linebackers, they had to call those linebackers up. Cheeto's playing on this bad ankle. How long is he going to last? And, you know, then you got into the Darius Phillips thing. You, who's going to return and all this? It all blended together. The back of the roster was a mess of decision, which is why they went right up to the wire trying to figure it out. I mean, mm-hmm. literally to the minute, you know, of of knowing who was going to be up and down. Now, the Trey Wayne's decision was, look, ideally, you bring Trey Wayne's back and you try to manage him into it. You manage him on a fifth on a snap count in his first game back because he's got three full practices. Maybe he looks good. Maybe he's felt good, but you still don't know what a full game. You don't. You're going to need him down the stretch. You don't want to do something because you tried to push him a little too hard in the first game back. You'd prefer to ease him in with 15 to 20 snaps, probably in some sort of sub third down sub package or first down sub package, whatever it is. And then maybe the next week he's full or something to that effect. Well, if you do that and Cheeto goes down in the third play of the game because you know he's going to be gritting it, he couldn't even finish. Now you have brought Waynes up instead of Vernon Hargraves as your healthy body who now has to play a full game and you're jeopardizing it. And they didn't want to get caught in that spot, so they just didn't make the move. Um, How much of this is, you know, we kind of, kind of ran a little bit about this after the game, but 
you know, it, it it put them in a really tough spot of trying to figure that out. But I think for that fact, they're going to go through another week, and I think you got to feel like we will see a little bit. We will see him in Denver. I would I would think now at this point. Yeah, it feels like it. I mean, they're still thin at linebacker. That's still an issue, and there's still the question about Awuzie's foot. We talked to Awuzie yesterday, and he said it's it's something. He's he's confident he can play, but he said this is something he's gonna. It's week fourteen. It's it's going to be something he's going to have to battle for a while. So I, I just I, I think they. I would not be surprised to see Darius Phillips be a healthy scratch again. I don't. We'll get to this later about where they go with that spot. But it just if if Trey Wayne's is able, the it, that almost has to trump whatever is going on roster construction wise you need to get him in there and again like you said only three practices last week he'll stack another three this week and they'll they would feel much better about him playing a whole game although it is a question of the whole thing about being in shape and being in football shape can can he play a full game having not only played two in the last two years in the <laughs> thin air in denver i mean that is a real issue out there where you know, it's it's something that that guys struggle with the breathing and 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 all of that. So, um, but I I still I it w- I would imagine he 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 could do at least a 70 percent snap load at corner and maybe more. You just you just have to wait and see how that plays out. Yeah, I I you you can amp him up a little bit more in practice this week too. Mm-hmm. You know, to help close that gap, you, there's there's ways to cover that. So, um, at some point, Trey Waynes needs to play um, and earn a couple of dollars <laughs> out of that contract before they cut him. So, uh, all right. Um, there's so we, we talked a little bit about flexing yesterday, uh, and I just wanted to mention this real quick uh, for people that don't know. So, you've got these Saturday games are now starting. Um, the week 18, I mean, we talked about the Browns Bengals game looking like it could be a definite candidate to be one of those flexes because they love to put those division, you know, deciding the division type games if it does come down to that. There's actually three flex spots for week 18. There's a Saturday at 4 30, a Saturday at 8, and then the Sunday at 8. So the chances of that game at Cleveland on December 8th, 9th weekend or excuse me, January 8th, 9th weekend being a night game is is getting very real. The, the, the chances of an all-day recovery from Great Lakes Christmas sales is – although I, that may just be a drive up, Jay. May have to, I might have to consider sacrificing. Ugh, I don't know. Big decisions on the horizon. We'll see what happens. It, but keep in mind, there's a chance you're going to be seeing a primetime showcase for that game with uh, if the division is on the line for sure, um, with it either being Saturday or Sunday potentially. So just something to keep in the back of your mind. Um, my, my thought right, on that is about, that – well, I was, I was going to say I, I don't know that they would be in play for one of those Saturday spots. It almost feels like those. that's going to be like a, a big market team that – has playoff implications on the line and a Bengals Browns game still feels like it could be, you could have that winner go home element. And if you put them on Saturday, that's not necessarily the case because the loser would kind of be waiting to see what shook out on Sunday. Whereas if you make that the last very last game of the season, then that's when that comes into play. So I, I, I think if you're, if you're power ranking the three slots, 
I, I would say Sunday night is the most likely, and then Saturday at 4.30, second most likely, and then Saturday at 8.30 is the least likely. I just can't see them putting that game in primetime on a Saturday night. Yeah, because the Ravens will still be in the mix there. Yeah. Uh, in some capacity, probably, if you're trying to buy it. Um, who knows? We'll, we'll cross that bridge later. Um, okay. Let's talk um, a little bit about what the hell's going to happen at kick returner and punt returner. Um, we talked to Darren Simmons yesterday, um, who had come down off of what I'm sure was a very frustrating. Uh, his blood pressure might have been pretty high. I don't know if he had to go to the doctor on Monday early to to get that checked, but um, a frustrating day for him where he saw two, basically two muffed punts, turnovers, uh, a dropped kickoff, another one that was nearly a fumble, a missed field goal, um, you, you name it. He saw it happen to his group on special teams, which was supposed to be the one area the Bengals had the biggest advantage over the Niners, who've been a special teams mess all year. And Darren Simmons has been one of the continued solid groups. Um, but I think you saw injuries that have been there all year sort of finally creep up in his room people we talked about how healthy they've been the one thing that has happened you have had a lot the same amount of injuries to the back end of the roster and that has really affected him particularly the linebackers are such a key part of what he does and you know you lose Akeem Davis Gaither one of his best guys you lose Jordan Evans one of his best guys you lose Marcus Bailey who's one of his guys I mean you know you you, you can only chip away so much you lose Brandon Wilson who's one of his best guys you you can only take on so much water until you see it, and unfortunately, it came back to bite them on Sunday. But he, the question is, what happens next to punt returner and kick returner, which turned into a total mess? And so we asked him about both of those spots. He kind of went on monologues a little bit on where that ends up. We'll know more on Wednesday is the big picture. But here's Darren Simmons talking about those two spots. You anticipate Darius being the punt returner moving forward after this weekend? Well, I think there's something we'll talk about, uh, you know, talk about here pretty quickly and try to get figured out. You know, I, I felt at the time that obviously he was having a rough go of it last night or yesterday afternoon, last night, whatever you want to call it. And that's why we made the change in the middle of the game that we did. You know, just, you know, sometimes you're snake, but you can't, uh, you can't afford to, uh, have it happen again. So obviously we, we uh, put Tyler back there, somebody that, uh, you know, again, we've had, a, we've got a great deal of confidence in, um, to handle the ball and, and and really in any situation too it's not something that uh um you know i certainly anticipated going to the game dealing with um but but I, again I, I we haven't completely had all those discussions yet i think it's something that'll work itself out here pretty quick though we get figured out how much discussion was there after the the first fumble of, of making the change then well i don't know that there's a whole lot of discussion then you know i just went to darius and talked to him about making sure we just concentrate on handling the ball mm-hmm. um you know, I don't know. There was a there was a lot of discussion then. You know, uh, but you know, between me and Zach, I guess you're referring to. Or yeah, yeah. Um, no, there there wasn't any discussion after the first one. I just went to him and said, "He's got to, we got to, we got to concentrate on the things. We got to concentrate on just handling the ball." You look at you look at kickoffs too. Obviously, were an, an issue. Do you have an idea on where you're going to go with kick returner going forward? Is that also something that's kind of in discussion at this point? Yeah, I think I think it's that's also something. Uh, uh, that's in discussion too. Um, you know, there's a lot. There's a lot of stuff that goes on on a Monday morning uh, here at our facility when it, when it comes to grading the tape and having some meetings. We just got done meeting with the players. I'm sure we'll talk about it. You know, as a staff and as a group, and decide how to go. What's the best way to go proceed?
can go forward from there. But um, yeah, we're certainly uh, thinned out at that spot a little bit. And, uh, you know, yeah, I certainly felt like we were snake bit there in the first half, to say the least. Felt like we couldn't catch a ball. I think the message that I got to their players was this afternoon was we just got to concentrate on the things we got to concentrate on. When, when stuff goes bad or when things don't go right, we, we can't panic, you know. And uh, sometimes I, I, uh, think that speaks a little bit to maybe our inexperience at some spots. I mean, it's no secret we're, 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 we've had some injuries to a lot of positions um, in my group. And uh, so there's some new faces in the crowd out there. So when things do go bad, we, we got to have a, a core group of guys that have been through the ringer together a little bit to kind of help pull it together. And we're lacking in some experience right now. We're lacking in some areas of guys playing together, you know, together here with us. Um, and uh, well, that's got to develop over the next couple of games. You know, it, we're it's a it's it's a continuing process for us right now. You know, where we're trying to, um, you know, withstand the tidal wave of, of stuff going right now. But uh, that's certainly something we got to work through, and we got to work through quickly. All right, so there's Darren Simmons. You know, he's um, he's very honest about. Uh, you know, I I wouldn't call that a ringing endorsement for bringing back Darius Phillips, Jay. Uh, no. <laughs> He was also very honest. It, he the Alex Erickson conversation came up, and he was basically saying, "I didn't want to cut Alex. He he's been worried about that spot since Alex left." And mm-hmm. I did. I went back and looked, and since Alex entered the league, he has more fumbles and more lost fumbles on punts than any other punt returner. But he also had way more opportunities than any other punt returner. But yeah, I just I don't know. That this this whole thing is about trust, and can you trust Darius Phillips back there? No. It's it's one thing <laughs> to not hit the hole and to dance around, and 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 maybe to even to muff a punt when a gunner is barreling down on you. But after dropping one, dropping a second one, when you've called fair catch and you know you're not going to get hit, that's. That's the death knell. There, there is no way they can stick him back out there. Um, you know, I, I, I Trent Irwin has. There's been Trent Irwin's kind of like Alex Erickson without the fumbles. Nothing flashy, but he gets he gets nine to twelve yards every return. He's sure-handed. Just stick him back there and and you know know that you're not going to turn the ball over. You're not going to break one, but you're not going to have a catastrophic turnover either. I will go back to. And this is one that will would give Darren Simmons nightmares if he even heard me say this name. Brad St. Louis, the last long snapper before Clark Harris. Okay. When your confidence goes at certain spots on special teams, it's over. Okay. You go back to 2006, and Brad St. Louis all of a sudden couldn't snap, and they went to where did they go? Denver, Denver, Denver. Like Christmas week. It was Christmas Eve. Christmas Eve <laughs> in Denver in a must-win game, and they drive the length of the field for what should have been the game, tying touchdown, and Brad St. Louis, had who had had snap issues and lacked and lost some confidence after having a career not doing it, not having issues with it, had a bad snap in the worst spot, and they lose the, a game they had to have. I'm not here to bring up the past. Okay, <laughs> I'm not here to try to find parallels between 15 years ago, damn near 15 year anniversary of this game. Okay, but when a guy in a spot like that, a high leverage risk position like that, starts to lose confidence, 
it's over, okay? And you can't have Darius Phillips back there not confident because if you're thinking about it, you you're gonna you're not gonna do it, and he's gonna be thinking about it. Okay, I need somebody else back there. Me? Screw it, Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd's like he's gonna have a week. He's gonna have all week of just of catching punts again, and he's now done it in the game a few times. He, I mean, Tyler Boyd's got all the confidence in the world. I'm not worried about his decision making. He's not out there going to be out there trying to do big returns. You're just looking for safety anyway. And Tyler Boyd can run a little bit with the ball. He's certainly not a guy you're afraid to have the ball in his hands. He has no drops as a receiver all year. I'm I'm comfortable with Tyler Boyd. It's late enough in the season. I'm not worried about his health on punt returns. Give me Tyler Boyd, the punt returner, and and I'm and I'm okay with it. If if it's a situation of can we have do we have the roster space to even activate Trenton Irwin? Otherwise, Irwin is the is the guy for me. But I have no problem putting Boyd. I want a confident dude back there who I'm comfortable holding the ball and being a playmaker. Okay. And a week to think about it and make sure he's he's totally ready for it in the spot. Give me Boyd. It's only for a few games at the end of the season and and call it call it a day. And Phillips is a healthy scratch. I think the downside that the the one thing you worry about with putting Tyler Boyd back there is if he were to get hurt on special teams. But really, I'm I'm trying to I'm running through my mind. I don't remember a punt returner ever getting hurt. I mean, I know it can happen, but he we, you you see it now too, where these these receivers are so smart about they don't go down like quarterbacks go down, but they get the yards they can get and they go down. They 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 don't take unnecessary hits, and and we saw him do that on one of his returns yesterday, where he's like, okay, I got what I could got, and he, I got what I could get, and and he just went down. So yeah, I I'm with you there. That it, and that that you know, if you are stressed for for roster spots, then that that kind of frees one up. You're not sticking someone in there just to do punt returns. Um, it it kind of opens you up elsewhere. And if I can, I, real quick, I have a Brad St. Louis story. <laughs> it's oh, just very, it's, it, it's, it's, it's typical Bengals. And it's, my daughter was in first grade. She is now 25 and a teacher herself, but she was in first grade and she sold the most, I think it was entertainment books in her school. And the, whoever sold the most in their school got to go to this luncheon at Paul Brown stadium and meet a Bengal. <laughs> so when we get down there and I was like, seriously, the long snapper is the Bengal she gets to meet. <laughs> but we, we, we do have a, a cute picture of her and she got, she got chosen to be, um, they did a random draw and they drew her name and she got chosen to do a TV commercial with Brad St. Louis and, uh, somewhere that is on a VHS tape in my house. But, um, Ooh. yeah, going, going way back on that one. Uh, can we get that VHS? Can you record the screen on that VHS tape? Maybe post that thing. I will. I will try my best to find it. We we have a lot of VHS tapes, and most of them are unlabeled. So it be it would oh, be no. quite the search. <laughs> uh, Brad St. Louis also the center of another famous story um, in Bengals media lore, <laughs> which is our good friend Cat Terrell, who covers the Saints for us now and used to cover the Bengals for ESPN, uh, and our good friend Richard Skinner over at Local Twelve uh, had a day where. Cat was working on a throwback story on Brad St. Louis. It was on long snappers, and it was kind of about the idea we talked about our confidence and losing it and stuff like that. And and no one, it was a great idea to, to catch up with him. And she had done it and done a, an interview over the phone. And after our interviews one day, every, people had left their recorders on the table, and someone had left theirs. 
and Skinny thought it was his. Identical model. Yeah, it looked the same. So he thought it was his. And so to clear some space, because he's used to just clearing some space by deleting some things that are on the end, he deleted. uh, And then all of a sudden, he deleted like three or four, I guess, files. And then realized, oh, my God, this isn't mine. And deleted (laughs) Cat's entire interview with Brad St. Louis. And it goes to anytime anybody leaves a recorder ever anywhere now, the same comments are made. And uh, usually Cat ends up in a text chain uh, at some point. It's uh, It was a sad, sad moment. If there, if there's no worse feeling than knowing you lost an interview you really liked and needed and how hard it is to get those back. Uh, and I think we all felt for Cat that day, including Skinny, who apologized profusely. Yeah, he he was really torn up about it, and I I thought Cat was going to cry. She was so upset. I think it was like an hour long interview. It was really long, yeah. and we we've all had it happen we're, we're, of our own doing, screwing up and losing an interview. But to have somebody else do it, I, I thought Cat handled it remarkably well. There was there was never any tension between her and Skinny. Who knew this would be Brad St. Louis week? I'm sorry, Bengals <laughs> fans that have been around for that era. I I remember. You know, I'm going to go. I remember watching that game specifically. It was a night. It was at night. I was working on a desk in Key West, Florida, like putting out a newspaper in like a slot shift, and I remember watching that game and my jaw dropping on the floor. And I I remember walking outside and being like. I can't believe what I just saw. I can't believe they blew the extra point <laughs> on a snap because it, it was that run of games. They only had to win one, and uh, San Antonio Holmes took it to the house on the next week. All right, let's just take a quick break. Kick returner. What do you do here? You know? <laughs> I mean, I, I, you know, talk about confidence. I don't know that I'm putting Stanley Morgan back out there. That no. didn't go well. <clears throat> okay. I'm now, I'm healthy scratching Darius Phillips. Travion Williams? Possibly. I mean, Chris he's Evans. a running back. You're comfortable with him carrying the ball. He's done returning of kickoffs. I don't know what their comfort level is with him doing it. What else, you know, or they just feel like they need him as a, in another spot on kickoff return. But to me, I look at the roster and he's the name that pops out on me to get somebody else back there. But again, it's what's your comfort level with his catching and decision-making either way. I don't know that there's a safe name that you're putting back there at this point. Yeah, there's not a safe one, and it's it's the bigger spot because at punt return, you can just stick somebody back there, back there that can fair catch it, whether they've got room to run or not. Just just stick somebody back there, and you've got that option. Kickoff, you don't. Yes, most kickoffs go out of the end zone, but if it, we saw it. If, if a team wants to kick it short and force you to try to return it, they can do that, and you better have somebody back there that's that's sure-handed and, and solid in decision-making. I like the idea of Chris Evans, but I, I don't know about putting a rookie in that spot. And first of all, he has to get healthy, but um, he would be an option. Um, and then, you know, Puka, he, he, he didn't look great, but it was his first shot at it, and he got better as the, each return got better as the game went on. But again, that's a spot where you have to call somebody up from the practice squad, and and you're you're tight on on roster spots right now, anyhow. So it will. It's going to be interesting to see which way they go with that Sunday in Denver. You know what's interesting? Think about how tight they were on roster spots, and they still were willing to keep Logan Wilson 
and not put him on IR. I mean, I think that goes to show mm-hmm. how much they think he's going to be back to play against the Ravens. Um, or else, you know, you're talking about a major miscue because these have proven very important spots in the back end of their roster. And uh, if you just if he never even plays, uh, it it shows that that was you know the wrong call. Um, yeah, so we'll you know Puka could end up being the guy. At least he's not, at least he's done it in a game before now. And you think he's got some playmaking ability. So maybe they do go back to Puka, uh, seeing that the situation they ended up being in. And maybe, you know, the healthy scratch of Darius Phillips helps them do that. Maybe Marcus Bailey returning helps them do that to clear that linebacker spot. There's going to be another week of these roster gymnastics. And I think that's going to play a big role in where you see this thing end up. But for me, you know, it's just about, I think after last week, it should just be about avoiding disaster. A return would be nice, but this, you're not. it's not about the game breaker at this point. It's about, don't screw this up, okay? Let's not have another game where it ends up being about dumb special team stuff. Um, okay, um, I want to talk a little bit about, Jay, you've got some stats on the playoff picture as we kind of look at it now. I mean... We've got all these teams in the middle, the Bengals and the Broncos, another week where everybody's got everything to play for. They just keep going through this part of the schedule, and they've now lost two games in a row, the potential for their first three-game losing streak of the season. They've bounced back off the two each time with big wins, but what's you know what happens now is they go back on the road, although I will say they've played their best football on the road this year. Mm-hmm. Um <clears throat> You know, it in the in the big picture when you when you talk about I'm still wearing my must win armband. <laughs> I haven't played the must win card yet. My one must win card yet. I haven't played it. Um, let's just say I'm holding it and kind of pulling on it a little this week, thinking about it. I'm not going. I'm not thinking about pulling the must win <laughs> armband off, but I'm I'm thinking about it. History suggests it's not a must win. I know Bengal fans don't want to hear that, but. You know, I was I was interested earlier this year. I think it was after they lost to the the Browns and Jets back to back, and Zach said they were going to get it straightened out. And he said, "You look at any playoff team um, ever they they had a stretch where they lost two in a row." And um, yep, that's right. Most of them have. Um, I went back. I was curious. Well, how many teams have come back from a three game losing streak and made the playoffs? If that's what it ends up being, if they lose at Denver, it would be a three game losing streak. They would be back to even at seven and seven. Um, it happens all the time. It's happened every year since 2001. And since the NFL merger in 1970, it's happened every year, but four years. 2001, 1990, 1980, 1974. Those are the only years when a team with a three-game losing streak didn't make the playoffs. So you look at it now, the, the teams that are currently, if the playoffs started today, the teams that would be in, the 49ers, Colts, and Rams all have three-game losing streaks this year. And teams that are within one game of that final playoff spot in their conference who have had a three-game losing streak, Broncos, Dolphins, Eagles, Saints, Steelers. So it's going to happen again this year, you have to figure. So, you know, why not the Bengals? I Again, nobody wants to see that happen. They don't want to see that it tested. Um, but it, it doesn't feel like this is an absolute must win. But it, it, it would be a huge win if they could get it and, and get to eight and six. Um, 
the interesting thing here is we could see a record this year. Um, though all those teams that had three game losing streaks and made the playoffs, the, the record for longest losing streak in a season and still making the playoffs is six. Uh, the Bears did it last year. The Panthers did it in 2014. And your 1970 Cincinnati Bengals lost six in a row and came back to make the playoffs for the first time as a team. Um, the Dolphins, who I mentioned are one game out of the playoff spot right now, they have a seven-game losing streak on their resume. If they end up making the playoffs here that, this year, that would be a record. It's unbelievable. Although, the, again, we've seen some of these teams that have had these schedule advantages because the, the, the bottom tier is very – if you're not in that middle, like that bottom is bad. Mm-hmm. And uh, particularly you've had you know, the ability to pick off the Jags, the Texans, the Jets of the world. Of course, the Bengals are like, oh, that Jets game. Maybe coming <laughs> back to – we still talking about that Jets game? We sure as hell are. Yep. What did we say after that game? That's going to be the one you look back on. Imagine you're sitting here right now. You're tied with the rate. You're in. You're in first place. Yeah. If you hold on to a double digit lead at the Jets and Mike White, <laughs> it's just it's just gross. It's just gross to look back on. Um, I'm gonna be holding on to my must win armband this week, though. I, I I'm tugging on it, but I'm not taking it off. I'm not playing the must win card at all. Next week, though, feels like it might be the one that I pull it out there for. Yeah. I might pull that one out next week. Um, Even but, if they win at Denver, you still going to pull it out against the Ravens? I, you, I think they got to put the Ravens in their rear view. Yeah. I feel like I feel like that's the one that they've got. I mean, I might <clears> want to save it for the Browns game at the end, but I don't know that the Browns game is going to mean what they want it to mean if they can't take care of business against the Ravens. Um, you can't play the armband if it's, if it's a mathematical certainty that it's a must win. So you got, you got to play that armband before. Why not? That's the whole point of the must win armband. <laughs> That's the whole point of my argument. It's never a must win until a mathematical must win. Really? Otherwise you're just saying you're taking a chance on it being a must, the must win. Cause you only get one that you must win. Cause if you don't win it, then it's, oh, it should be over. That's my whole point. So I could absolutely save it for week 18 and a mathematical must win. I, I, I'm against this whole concept. This is the whole, this is the problem with the willy nilly must win usage. This is the whole problem. I'm looking People forward out to here a listener. They can just throw around these must wins all year long <laughs> and then they just play the next week and they can make up for it. Too willy. I used to, I, I enjoy calling that. I always wanted to meet William Nilly, you know, the original, <laughs> the original dude who just said stuff all over the place and they started calling him Willy Nilly and it became, I, that's how I like to think of the origin story of Willy Nilly. <laughs> William J. Nilly, you know, was a, was a really good dude. Then he just kind of got out of control. Sorry. There, ha- there has to be one of those that exists, but I, I was going to say that, um, <laughs> I, I'm looking forward to a, a listener or subscriber who's also a seamstress actually making us must-win armbands and sending them to us. Oh, look! If Mo can get a "I'm having fun" T-shirt, <laughs> I'm on the Cincy Shirts podcast today. Um, they're they're having me on. We pl- plotted it like a month and a half ago. I'm going to ask for must-win armbands. They need to get in the <laughs> armband business. When you just you wear it around until you've played your must win card, and then you got to turn it over. It's like the one side is red, says 
you know, it's like it's like the Brazilian steakhouse, right? I'm, yeah. I'm good, and then you turn it over the other way. That's what I want. One color, one one says must win. The other one is a different color that says no more must win available. You know, or something <laughs> catchier than that. But I'll leave that to the Cincy shirts people. But I'm bringing it up. I'm bringing it up. Uh, speaking of, let's get to our good friend Mo Egger, who you can buy his "I Am Having Fun" shirt from Cincy Shirts and uh, uh, to benefit a very good cause. Let's let's bring in uh, let's bring in Mo. <whistles> Mo, uh, let's see how he tweeted this week. What's the numbers, Jay? A down week for Mo. He only seventy one. I think not what? having the college football playoff. Uh, show and not having a Bearcat game and having the Crosstown shootout not really be dramatic. I uh, I never tweet during the Crosstown shootout. That yeah. is no win okay. for me. I, I, I sent <laughs> one tweet after the game. I never tweet during the Crosstown shootout. So it was a game changer. It goes to show. Yeah. Man, 71. That's a that's a career low for this, at least since yes. we've been tracking it. It is. All right. Well, so you, well, we, we still had plenty to choose from though. Um, and I think we're going to start here. Jay and I have probably talked ourselves out now having done the walkout and yesterday's live room, uh, with the major discussion point being what the major discussion point has been on your tweet was the obvious one. Bengals got too conservative on their overtime drive and paid for it. What are your thoughts now having kind of a couple of days to reflect on that? Um, in, as, as it surrounds the you know the bigger picture of people wanting to scream and yell about the head coach and play caller. Yeah, I'll give Zach Taylor an opportunity to show that he's learned from that. He certainly expressed a great deal of regret um, after the game with you guys and and on Monday. And so I'm I'm as interested in seeing how this gets handled moving forward as I am yelling and screaming about it. But that was worth yelling and screaming about. And and to me, I. I was at the game with uh, four other dudes, and and I said, if if I'm standing next to Kyle Shanahan, and this is after the Bengals kicked the field, I said, if I was standing next to Kyle Shanahan and I presented him with two different options, one of which was Joe Burrow is going to keep throwing or Joe Burrow is going to hand it off twice, and then you're going to get Nick Bosa one-on-one versus Isaiah Prince, and then they're going to kick a field goal. Uh, but you don't know what's behind the other door if they throw three times, which would you prefer? And I said, I think Kyle Shanahan would say, let's roll the dice, get my offense back on the field, hand it off a couple of times, give me a third down play with Nick Bosa one-on-one versus Isaiah Prince, and then let's go. So to me, I always kind of view these things through the, the filter of what would the other coach want you to do? And to me, Kyle Shanahan had to be in- internally going Great. Keep, yeah, keep, keep handing it off. Let's Joe Burrow just carved us up in the fourth quarter with some of the best throws I've ever seen. One of the best quarters a, a, a Cincinnati quarterback has ever had. He he gets in position to score and completely conservative. So to me, that's always how I look at those things. I am as interested, however, in if a similar type of, of situation presents itself and it's having a feel for the game, it's, it's not just throwing for the sake of being aggressive. It's riding the hot hand. It's, it's a San Francisco secondary that was dinged up going in they, they suffered some dings during the game. Your quarterback is playing at an unbelievable level. He's finding every conceivable target. How do you not take one shot at the end zone? How, and you can tell me all you want about two high safeties and light boxes, Dude, you've got Joe Burrow. This is why you drafted him. You're entrusting him to not make a mistake. You're entrusting him to not put you in a situation where uh, he throws a pick, where he everything unravels. You ride the hot hand. You have a feel for the game. And I don't think Zach showed that he had a feel for the game on Sunday. So now moving forward, 
How does that change? Does this become the sort of thing that we look back on and go, okay, this was a, a bit of a pivot point in the way that Zach handles Joe, in the way that Zach handles situations like that? Or does it become emblematic of a coach who talks about being aggressive but doesn't do it? And there were other moments in that game, the two fourth downs, the way they mm -hmm. came out to start the second half with three straight runs. There were other situations in that game where you're like, dude, come on, foot on the pedal here. But if there ever was a moment where you're like, come on, man, ride your hot hand, use your quarterback, take a shot, it was in overtime at the 26-yard line. It's kind of what I wrote about. I mean, th there were mm -hmm. four major opportunities to trust Joe Burrow to be a big right. player for you, which what have we seen him in every opportunity when you've given him that, whether it's fourth and an eyelash against Minnesota and you throw it deep to Uzama or any of these things we've talked about where, you know, don't you can't zero me against Jacksonville. These moments where you've given him these big spots <laughs> where he comes through for you and you had four chances to hand the ball to Burrow and say big moment, big risk. I want nine to you know pay a bet off for me. And all of them were essentially chosen to not do so. And I think that's where you feel like it's like, man, play like you have a great quarterback. Yeah, Zach's yeah. been very honest uh, since he's been here, but I don't know if he would honestly answer the question here. I wonder, because you mentioned the, the, the shots they took against Minnesota Jacksonville. Joe Burrow wasn't leading the NFL in interceptions at that time. I wonder how much of it was take what the defense gives you and how much of it was uh, – Burrow hasn't thrown an interception yet today. He's thrown 14 this year. Do I have full trust in him to make the right decision here? And, and really, even if you don't, you should still do it because you, your defense has been so great at, at sudden change anyhow, and your San Fran's going to start way down in their end. Um, but I, I do I, I don't know if Zach would answer that question honestly if, if those play calls on first and second down at the 26 were related to how many interceptions Joe Burrow has thrown this year. And I don't, I don't expect Zach Taylor or any NFL head coach to look at it the same way I do in the stands. But mm -hmm. for me, if Joe throws a pick, he throws a pick. I can live with that. And then whatever happens, happens. And I, I know that's not necessarily, <clears throat> excuse me, how a, a coach thinks. But in that moment, yeah, we're all aware Joe has made some mystifying decisions in critical situations. I mean, it was funny when they got the ball in the first play of overtime, I, I sort of said out loud, last time Joe was in this situation, he <laughs> threw one of the dumbest picks I've ever seen against Green Bay. And so, yep. but to me, it, we, we've talked a lot about how those mistakes are part of the process, part of the maturation process. Well, then so too is going 95 yards after getting sacked on first down with the, the game and the season kind of hanging in the balance. That's a big moment. That's a big moment in his progression. And, and that's the most recent one. He just orchestrated this unbelievable drive and not dinking and dunking the ball down the field either, making some tight window throws. The fourth and five play is one, and Jamar Chase made a great play as well, staying in bounds. But the fourth and five play is one of the great individual efforts I've seen in my life. Um, from a Cincinnati Bengals quarterback, y you can't, you've trusted Joe Burrow with a lot of things that can't be undone because he's thrown a few picks that we take as sort of part of the growing process. Um, if he would have thrown a pick in that situation, I, I think all of us would have said, you know what? You went down with your best guy. You went down with your best option. You, you went, you went down by doing what is supposed to be your team's bread and butter. And by the way, it, it would be one thing if Joe Mixon was sitting on a 170 yard day and he had just been gashing San Francisco's mm -hmm. defense, he, he hadn't been that productive. Those two runs weren't bad, but still 
play the percentages. And based on the moment, the percentage of Joe Burrow delivering in that, it, it doesn't even necessarily have to be throwing into the end zone. I mean, just throw passes, use your guys, use your weaponry. Maybe somebody makes a play and catches one, you know, catches an eight yard out and, and runs it into the end zone. They hadn't run the ball that effectively. They had thrown the ball incredibly effectively starting early in the fourth quarter. And and to not go down with what is was your best weapon, for lack of a better way of putting it in that game, was and for my money still is maddening. There's there is no doubt, and and I, you know the the pro, you know part of the problem I have is, and we talk a lot of times on here about how I mean every fan base hate, hates their their offensive coordinator or their play caller or whoever. <laughs> like they just do. I mean, there's nobody who's like, oh, I love. I mean, Kyle Shanahan was supposed to be fired a couple months ago, and right. he's he's one of the best in the business. But but I do think that. Um, pinpointing this that is while we can talk about feel for the game and things it's it's you're also not getting to you know Zach Taylor's more than about more than that and and it's not just about one or two calls that you make over the course of a game because over the course of the last month or two this is still does he not does he get no credit for what this offense has become does he get no credit I feel like people are immediately of course just and maybe we should stop listening to the vocal minority of the just screaming fire, fire. You got, you know, we got to do something different. And it's like, I don't know. I see an offense that has been fantastic for a while now. Do we have problems in, uh, in certain spots? Do you worry about field? Yes. But I, I just hate that it turns into this bigger picture. They need a new offensive qu- fire. Everybody It's like, I don't know. I, I see an offense that's one of the best in the league in points per drive for a long while now. I don't disagree with that. I I don't know if it's necessarily about firing Zach Taylor. I I just think it's, it's about him coaching better. Like there's a lot to really like about the direction this franchise has gone in under Zach and, and you guys have written about it and podcasted about it. God knows I've talked about it. There's a lot to like and, are his fingerprints all over their offensive successes? Look, two weeks ago, I, I thought that was a masterclass in play calling against Pittsburgh. It was run the football, pick on the other team's weakest corner. It might not have been high-level stuff, but if you watch that team, uh, you would have thought, holy cow, th- th- this this offense is being orchestrated by an absolute mastermind. Um, t- to me, it's it's just about in those moments in which the game is hanging in the balance, coach better, do better. Um, and don't just talk about being aggressive. Be aggressive. By the way, I would have loved to have seen Zach go for two after one of the two fourth quarter touchdowns. A two point conversion is a 50 50 play. Okay, so if you get the first one, you're good. All you got to do is score a touchdown and kick the PAT. And if you don't get the first one, it's a better than average chance you're going to get the second one. And I just, I, I don't necessarily feel like that's just a Zach Taylor thing. I, it's, I, you know, I love laughing at football coaches because they sleep on their couches and they never see their families and they love to tell you how hard they work. But they also <laughs> like to tell you how they fear nothing. We're going to do what we want. We're going to be aggressive. But then when push comes to shove, they never are. And um, Zach has shown moments in his tenure of progressiveness and aggressiveness, but I, I just didn't see it to the extent that I, I wish I would have on Sunday. And, and to me, it's look, I, I think it, it, at the end of every season, everybody's job should be up for examination. I think it's completely fair to look at Zach Taylor and examine the entire body of work. And I think when we do, there's going to be more in the pro column than the con column, but that con column doesn't get ignored. And in that con column is what we saw on Sunday. They're going to have four probably really close games. I mean, th- these next four, 
the Denver game, they're a point and a half underdog as we sit here today. Uh, chances are if they beat Kansas City and Baltimore, those aren't going to be blowouts. Same for, for Cleveland. So they're going to have some more push-come-to-shove moments in which the outcome of the season is going to be hanging in the balance. What is Zach Taylor's role? in determining the outcome of those games. And if faced in a similar situation, I'm not necessarily talking about an overtime first and 10 from the 26, just I'm talking, hey, our quarterback is red hot. This is our guy. Let's ride him here. It would be the same thing if it's like Joe Mixon is ripping off eight yards a carry and you stop giving him the football. It's the same thing. It's 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 using what works and it's trusting the guys you should trust. Um, and, and again, you know, look, uh, Nick Bosa is an absolute terror. Third and... 10 or whatever it was third and three, I think third and two, third and three, um, three. game hanging in the balance. Isaiah Prince needs help on Nick Bosa. Um, coming out of the timeout, you can't give George Kittle eight yards of room on third down when he's gassed your defense all day, uh, using a timeout to, to determine that we're going to kick a field goal. Um, things like that. I, I just want to see him improve upon, you know, if, if your kid makes a mistake, you don't want to get rid of your kid. You just want them to do better. And I, as clumsy of an analogy as that might be, I, I want the head coach of this team in moments like that to do better. He's not going to bat a thousand. He's not going to get it right every single time. But again, that to me in overtime was painfully obvious what they should do. And it, it, it also reflected, I think, over the course of the game, a lack of just aggressiveness and decision making that I would like to see change moving forward. And I think it's going to have to change moving forward. There's your next T-shirt. Zach Taylor is like my kid. <laughs> and on the back it says don't get rid of your kids don't get rid of your kids <laughs> unless like you know in this, i guess in that analogy like the the police or child services would be like the owner who just come in and take it away we're, we're taking them away we're yeah. taking them away we have a fun exercise that we are going to do because we, we there's been sort of joking going around about a, a question asked in our live room uh yesterday where it was essentially about at some point you lose a little bit of trust in jamar chase and take him off the field on third downs and it was out there like wait was was someone talking about benching jamar chase and and it was kind of this 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 fun joke. And they, at, that, at one point in the question, it was mentioned he's the most frustrating Bengals player I've ever seen. And I pointed oh. it out, out that well, um, you probably haven't watched a lot of Bengals games then because uh, <laughs> there's a uh, um, uh, half a century worth of frustrating <laughs> Bengals that you might want to look into. Um, so we are going to do a draft of not just the most frustrating Bengals players, but just the most frustrating Bengals players whose last names start with C. But Jay and I think there's a might there might be a clear cut number one draft pick. So we're going to ask you to uh, decide who the number one pick is. Jay and I both have a bet that we have made over who we think you will select as the answer to this question. Okay, and it differs. The question is, what player in Bengals history? whose last name begins with C, has the most receiving yards. What player in Bengals history whose last name begins with the letter C has the most receiving yards? Uh, Isaac Curtis. Isaac he Curtis wins. Paul is wins. correct, and I thought you would get it correct. I believed in you, Mo. I had faith. Jay thought you would go back and get to Chris Collinsworth and stop. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> no, Isaac Curtis, first of all, is my dad's all-time favorite player. Maybe oh. my dad's all-time favorite athlete. So I'm well-versed in the work of Isaac Curtis. And Isaac Curtis was a phenomenal player. Chris Collinsworth was a very good player. And 
Um, I believe, and, and I think he's sixth all time in receiving yards in the history of the franchise. And maybe I'm overstating him a little bit, but if you're having a discussion about the great 85s in franchise history, Isaac Curtis might not be the greatest, but he's in the conversation because that number has been well-worn by uh, pass catchers who have played for the Cincinnati Bengals. He's a, he's a reason why it's legendary. And uh, mm-hmm. I love Tyler Eifert, but more so than Tyler Eifert. Uh, I, 80, 80. Isaac Curtis, honestly, he's always one of those. We opened this actually with a receiver Hall of Fame discussion, talking about AJ Green crossing 10K and how how much better Chad's case is than I think anybody gives it credit for. Mm-hmm. Um, Isaac Curtis's case is actually better than people give it credit credit for when you mm-hmm. look at era adjusted stats and what how different he was from everybody else in his generation now it will never get the credit and there's probably not enough there to get him in and certainly not from this market as we have expounded on time and time again but it does not get enough credit for how good it is and i look forward to his name being up in the ring of honor one day isaac curtis by the way third in franchise history and receiving yards 7101 chris collinsworth fifth 6698 all right, so I get the number one overall pick in our most frustrating Bengals, <laughs> whose last name begins with the letter C draft, which I'm very excited about. Uh, Mo, I will join you uh, on ESPN 1530 from 3 to 4 here this afternoon on Tuesday. I look forward wow. to that. Maybe, maybe you can come up with your top, your most frustrating Bengals, whose last name begins with letter C, or I can, I can open up the whole franchise to you. Yeah, I was going to say, do I just get the letter C? Do I get we, uh, maybe on your show? We'll open it up to every letter and we'll, we'll pick our top threes. Okay. I can, we yeah. can, that'll be the, that'll be the game today. Top three, yeah. most frustrating Bengals of all time. Jamar chase is not going to be on that list. Not <laughs> on the list. I don't there think there's anybody enough. on the current team. That's going to be on, on that list. No, because there's a long list from some lean years of frustrating. I do. Bengals. I do want to, I, I felt bad because I, I retweeted the, the tweet that Jay sent and I did something that I, I typically do not do is that I, I, I retweeted it. I listened to the, the teaser. I don't know what you guys call it. Mm-hmm. Um, I listened to it, thought it was funny, wanted people to listen to it. I, I hadn't, I have since listened to the entire thing and I, it's, it's a, a really cool, uh, exercise that you guys are doing. So I, I felt bad that I might've misrepresented, uh, first of all, the quality of the, um, the question you guys got, because there were a lot of really good questions. And, and I, that's just not something I, I do. I don't like it when people do it with my work where you just take a snippet and that becomes the thing I, I hate, you know, never click the link guy. So I, I felt bad, but I do think it, in, it generated a, a fun discussion. And yeah, I, and and this I, is I, not, I, I appreciate, I actually appreciated the question and I appreciate people that come in and kind of a little bit wearing their emotions on their sleeve and saying stuff like that. And it's, it's mm-hmm. fun to, to talk about. And I, 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 I hope that we, I hope we do get more ridiculous questions. I enjoy, I enjoy that aspect of it. So typically for a one o'clock game, the post-game call-in show goes until mm. like seven o'clock. I was out and about doing stuff at 10 o'clock Sunday night, believe it or not. And we were running a post-game show until 1130 at a Frickers. So <laughs> how, how do we, how do you want to imagine those phone calls were? At <laughs> I actually was talking about that. I said, I thought my, my, my favorite parts about the live room was how, well represented the questions were how interesting and nuanced mm-hmm. the questions were I said I have hosted post game shows on your air before and yeah. that is not how it goes when you open the lines <laughs> no it's my it, I haven't had to do it in a very long time it's my least favorite thing in our industry to do as a post game show 
Yeah. Uh, I, it's my, and, and other people love it. It's my least favorite thing to do. And I think you understand why. Yeah. Uh, I am looking forward to uh, going all in on the entire franchise list with you this afternoon, Mo. Thanks for joining. Okay. Thanks, guys. All right. Great to uh, hear from Mo, as always. So Mo has set the stage for us, Jay. Yeah. Uh, before we get to the uh, growler bet and run passer boot results, we're going to do our draft here. Most frustrating Bengals player in history whose last name starts with the letter C. The media guide makes this easy because you just we have every single player listed right in front of us. There's about – I didn't actually count them. What do you think? 75 players? That sounds about right, yeah. yeah. About 75 players whose last name begins with the letter C who have ever played for the Bengals. Now, I have the number one overall pick, and – I do think there is an obvious one here, but how much am I holding injury over someone's head for frustration versus how much am I holding over the fact that they were supposed to come here and fill a very important role and they were did not do that at all and were kind of jerks about it? Yeah, that, that's the question. I mean, that is because the, there's two injury guys on this I, it, when you were talking about maybe a sleeper pick, I, that, I thought that's the direction you were going. But that is, I guess that's up to that's your call, which way you want to go no, with it. I, yeah, but, I will not go Greg Cook. I will not. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to include Greg Cook. His injury, I, I think it's almost too unfair to do. But it's the same conversation kind of does hover over over our clear number one pick, and I'm going to go ahead and do it. It's Kajana Carter. Yeah. I mean, Kajana Carter is my number one pick. I mean, what's more frustrating? It, it's really by no fault of his own uh, that this guy who you traded up number one overall pick and never really beca- – and he, but he still sticks around, so the frustration lingers. Yeah. He's around. You hope that he's going to be that guy. He's never that guy. And he's like a goal line back for Corey Dillon at one point. I mean, there was just like – it was so frustrating, even the fact that he's still stuck around afterwards because you just keep thinking about what this guy was supposed to be and such a picture of what they hoped and and, uh, and never became for the best. So, yeah, I think it has to be Kajana Carter at number one. Yeah, and that's the thing with Greg Cook where, you know, his injury was pretty much that ended it. It was he didn't stick around and Kajana stuck around. I still I can't remember what game it was, but there was a game when Kajana was returning kicks and he he caught the kickoff and ran and did like a baseball slide right around the second base cutout at Riverfront Stadium, <laughs> and the the place just went crazy booing him. And it turns out he was told to do that. It was a time issue, but I just remember he could never. And, and you're right that the ACL injury, no fault of his own, and he could never win the fan base back after that because the expectations were so high after what he did at Penn State, trading up to be number one. It was. There, he, that's the reason we had Mo do this because it was obvious whoever got the number one overall pick was going to take Kajana. So I, I I know what direction you're going, and this this I don't know that I would have even had it be a, a sleeper pick for number one, but uh, I'll go Lavernius Coles. Yeah, because he was that's the guy that they <laughs> was supposed to come in. They they've had a few of these receivers that they brought in that were supposed to be difference makers, and it just never panned out for whatever reason and i can't what what year was lavernius was oh nine oh nine yeah and you know never had anybody like it was chad chad on one side who was kind of on the on the down on the down end a little bit and they really needed that extra person to take that pressure off of him and sign coles and and then he jay do you remember his nickname in the media that was before i covered the team uh pmf which stood for prickly mother 
<laughs> there have been a few of those in the Bengals history, too. There's been more than a few of those in the Bengals room, and I think it wasn't just with the media that he was PMF. And so he, not only are you not doing your job, but uh, the people around here are not real fond of the way you're carrying yourself. Talk about frustrating. Uh, Lavernius Coles is a, is a valid, solid pick for you. Um, all right, I have another one, and this is on from a different level. It's not because he was like a high-end pick or a lot of money or attention i'm going orson charles hmm. hey don't wave your gun in the air on the side <laughs> of the highway when we might need you to play for us this year like orson charles is never going to be great he was a fourth round pick they like converted him to a fullback tight end type guy mm-hmm. and then that day he woke up it was frustrating for me it was like an early off season morning and then it's like <laughs> um i think I think your guy was speeding on the highway in Kentucky, waving his gun in the air at somebody, and uh, he's been arrested. Can you can you not do that? It's pretty frustrating when when you, when that happens, right? So he's my number two pick. Well, what about a Bengals draft for worst highway decision by a Bengals player? Is it Orson Charles speeding with a gun, or is it Tremaine Mack falling asleep on the suspension bridge? <laughs> Worst highway decision. That'll be next week. I got to think more about that one because I'm sure there's some other poor highway decisions that uh, that we could that we could run through. Who's your number two pick? Um, I'm gonna go Will Clark. It, it just felt like he. Oh yeah. He f- he fit the template of what they were at the time with these big long defensive ends, and it was it was you know kind of be is going to be the succession with Michael Johnson getting older and and he just. I can't. He was a second round pick, if I remember. He was second or third. I think he was a second third round pick. pick. Third, yeah, he was behind Margus. Um, yes, and it just it it he just never panned out for whatever reason. And he looked like he he looked like the part. Um, he, he looked like the template that they rely on at defensive end, and it just it never worked out for that guy. Okay, uh, so I am going with my third pick. I. This is a hard one for me, uh, but I'm I'm gonna say John Copeland. John Copeland was a top ten pick. He was supposed to be this this great dude come out of Alabama, and he was fine. Like he was fine, but that's what made him frustrating. He was just fine, and he was supposed to be so much more. It was like the string of dudes that were just fine. And he, but he was out there all the time being just fine in the nineties for teams that were, were less than fine. And so for me, when you talk about frustrating this, John Copeland, my third pick, I didn't even have him on my list. Cause you're right. I, I just didn't realize that the, the expectations were so high for him. I thought he had a decent career and yeah. I guess yeah, I didn't he think was fine. I didn't give enough thought to this, but um, <laughs> my next pick and, and, and this guy, it, he was frustrating, but he was also very entertaining. Um, I'm going to go with Anthony Collins. Oh, I have him Just, on my list. Yeah. Yeah. Um, that year, I think it was 2013 and Witt was hurt and Anthony Collins uh, started the opener in Chicago and blank Julius Peppers and you see all this potential and he did get a decent contract extension and after that year he just he never lived up to it he just he he was not who you thought he could be and you know he's 
we we still quote him to this day because mm-hmm. uh, his favorite thing to do in his bio in the Bengals media guide or game day program was sit my ass down. And so now <laughs> during training camp, whenever the Bengals go to a special teams drill, we all say we're going to pull the AC and sit our ass down. Yeah. Yeah. Also, also well known for being the other guy at Jerome Simpson's house when the mail show the mail showed up with weed in it, and so did the cops. (laughs) And everyone was like, "Look, no, this is AC. We just happened to be there. Okay, it wasn't his weed. He was just there to play video games. I'm sure they would have just played video games and not touched the weed. It's totally cool. Uh, AC had nothing to do with that." The best part of AC's story is that he signs a massive contract in Tampa Bay, gets his deal, and like barely plays a game there. Because you know what he did when he got his money? That is that his ass down. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's great. Good choice. Good choice. Uh, I'm gonna wrap it up. Can I combine two picks? And I'll because they're kind of the they're same the same but different. They're okay. Little used tight ends. Hmm. I know Daniel, you have one. Daniel Coates. Oh no. And Chase Kaufman. Yeah. Chase I had on my list. Chase is probably a pick just because he was a high pick. He was a third round pick who like just couldn't block a soul and uh was just uh, just failed out. But Daniel Coates played he had the worst hands of anybody who's ever been an eligible receiver in Bengals history. And it was like every time he dropped the ball, it was just make everyone just it's like that guy on the basketball team that thinks he can shoot threes. But just can't Titus Rubles for UC fans might come and ever you hear the moan and the groan whenever they even go to shoot a three. It's like they go to pull up. Everyone's like, oh, no. <laughs> and that that was Daniel Coates. Anytime the ball went in his direction, just as a dump off. Like, can you just pretend you can catch for a second? Would drop it every time. So I'm going to Coates. Uh, if you wanted to pick Kaufman, you can. But. That's all. That's was it Kaufman or was it Colin Koshart? Who was the one that Mike Brown wanted to switch to defensive end on? Oh, hard I, it, well, it couldn't it, have been. Couldn't have been Kaufman. Had Koshart. Koshart was undraft. Okay, yeah, that, that's where I remember. Uh, my last one. I'll go Shaq Calhoun just because. <laughs> He he had a history in the league, and you know the the offensive line was so bad, and they bring him in, and you think, okay, this this guy could be not a long term answer, but could be a quick fix, and he just he was not. He didn't last a series. <laughs> he not only wasn't a quick fix, he didn't last a series, and they put in Quentin Spain, who had been there two days and done a walkthrough in the coach's office. I think he lasted one series. They didn't replace him mid series. I think it was one After series. After one in, series. Yeah. Yes. Sorry. Didn't last to, to the second series. <laughs> uh, all right. That was fun. I hope people enjoyed that. We had a little fun. Um, Jamar Chase not on the list. Uh, yeah. Jamar when you, Chase when might you not deliver be- the high highs, I understand. I do agree. I do understand the frustration. We have talked about trust levels with him. And at what point do you start to think about that? We have had that conversation. Yeah. But then it always ends the same. But when you have the high highs that he does create and what he does bring to you, there's no way you can start having that conversation. And I don't, and you can't be frustrated when those levels of high highs and playmaking that he can bring you do happen. I get the frustration with the drops and the contested catches. And we certainly discuss that. And it's, it's a valid point, but when you talk about what real frustration looks like, it's this list we just dropped on you. Yeah, Jamar Chase might not even be in the list of most frustrating Bengals players with an apostrophe in his name. 
<laughs> Next week on Hear That Podcast, Growler. <laughs> uh, all right, let's uh, Growler Bet recap from this past weekend. We had a three-pronger for you of uh, what milestone was going to happen first. It was when does Joe Mixon cross 1,000, when does Jamar Chase cross 1,000, or does Trey Hendrickson get his sack to make it nine straight games with a sack. Underdog Trey Hendrickson actually hit it with a sack on the first series, 13-34 in the first quarter. Quickest growler bet answer ever? Oh, has to be. 86 yes. seconds into the game? Yes. Um, and we had... One that almost got there. Had to be within five seconds. Uberboog88. Looks good. I got. Uh, said 12-21 in the first quarter for Trey Hendrickson. Uh, so close. So close. I Kudos for picking it uh, and being right there early in the game. I was, it was, you had the right idea, just didn't quite hit it where you needed to. So 50 West beer, not for anybody else. Maybe next week. Maybe next week. I don't know what you got in email, but I only saw three Twitter responses that even picked Hendrickson as the the, the correct prong. So only that, a that, couple that was more. impressive. Yeah. yeah, most most with Mixon. Mm-hmm. Most Mixon was sort of the he was closest. Mm-hmm. Uh, what did what did we say? Um, we both went Mixon. I was 11-11 first quarter, and you were in the three minute mark somewhere. I can't. I don't. I don't have that here in front of me, but I, so I would have technically uh, won that because actually I was yeah, closer on when Mixon did it. Uh, yeah. However, neither of us actually had the correct prong, so it's probably a wash. However, run passer boot results, Jay. What was our run passer boot from last week? You did nail that one. It was uh, which would be greater: Forty ers rushing yards, Jamar Chase catch percentage, or the Forty ers longest run plus the Forty ers longest pass. And the uh, you you took you ran with 49ers rushing yards, and that's what hit. They had 100. Uh, Jamar Chase's percentage was 62.5, and the run plus pass combo was 52. Had a 27 yard run and a 25 yard pass. I thought that number would be higher, though. I did too. I I ran with that. Mm-hmm. Um, I thought it would be a lot higher. That wraps that up, and that'll wrap us up. I hope everybody has uh, enjoyed today's episode. Had a little bit of fun. We were, we were a little off topic today, but I'll take that. You know, yeah. we did the extra. We were on topic yesterday with a little extra episode, so it gave us a little bit of flexibility to kind of stretch out and have a little bit of fun <laughs> and, and change it up. We've got Denver coming up on Sunday, so we will be talking a lot about the game against the Broncos, a massive game in Thursdays episode and so uh look forward to look forward to that and we'll have more voices for you from the locker room on wednesday and uh we'll hear from denver as well to uh, get some inside information from the broncos so uh looking forward to bring all that to you on thursday's episode thanks to everybody for listening and we'll talk to you next time have a good one everybody